recently I've been enjoying the uniqueness of God, uniqueness among all the gods and his uniqueness over against us. And so we're doing a little series of maybe four labs here on the uniqueness of God. And this is number two. And it's based on four short passages in the prophet Isaiah. Father, reveal your uniqueness in this set of texts as you are so different from us, different than we are, and help us to take great encouragement from this uniqueness. I ask this through Christ. Amen. So here we are in Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek him. Call upon him while he is near. So God wants us to Seek him and be dependent upon him. Call upon him. Wait for him. Trust him. Look to him. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. What I think the very, the very essence of wickedness, the very essence of unrighteousness is the failure to seek the Lord, the failure to call upon the Lord, rather to seek other things as our treasure and to, to call upon other things as our Savior. And when we don't seek the Lord and we don't call upon the Lord, but we seek our help and our guidance and our treasure in other things, wickedness is the name of the life that comes from it. So this is just two different ways of saying, come to the Lord, trust in the Lord. Let him return to the Lord. So if you're wicked, you're away from the Lord. If you're unrighteous, you're away from the Lord. It's not just that you're doing bad things. The Lord is not the treasure, not the center that he may have compassion on him and to our God that he will abundantly pardon. And then comes this argument, and we usually take verse 8 out of context without realizing what it's meant to support. For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. So this is an argument because, so what's he grounding? He's grounding the statement that if you will return to the Lord from your failing to seek him and not calling upon him and living in wickedness and unrighteousness, if you will return to the Lord and seek and call upon him, he will abundantly pardon because he's not like you. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, your ways, my ways. In other words, Ordinary human beings don't act like this. This is unique to God. God is rich in pardon, forgiving iniquity to thousands of generations, to everyone who seeks him and calls upon him. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The height of God's uniqueness is his willingness to pardon abundantly those who will return to him. So God is unique, not only over against the gods in that he works for those who wait for him. He's unique among beings, over against human beings, in that he abundantly works atonement, works forgiveness, works pardon for those who wait for him, who look to him. And we're not like that. He's different from us here. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. Therefore, 
going backwards, therefore I will abundantly pardon. And then go to Isaiah 57, 15 to see the height of God shown in this willingness to go low in this kind of pardon. For thus says the high and for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, high, high, my thoughts are high above your thoughts, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I'm high and holy and lifted up. Now, how do I manifest that? I dwell in the high and holy place and with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit with this high God is with contrite and lowly people to do what? To work for them, to revive them, to do what they cannot do for themselves. They need life reviving. They need life in their spirit. They need life in their hearts. And if they would call upon him and turn and depend upon him and wait for him, he will work for them and that will magnify his height. I think that's what Isaiah is saying here is that the height of God is not compromised by his going to the lowly and giving them life. It is magnified and exalted, which is what is going to come next in Isaiah 30. Thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. Rest, wait for me. Wait for me, call upon me, look to me, rest in me. In returning in rest, you will be saved in quietness. Rest and quietness, in trust. So rest and quietness and trust will be your strength. Why? Because I act for you. I become your strength when you are resting in me and quiet before me and trusting in me. But you were unwilling. And you said, no, we will flee on horses. In other words, they were in trouble. And instead of looking to God and being trustful and quiet, they're going to make an escape for themselves. They're going to figure this out. They're going to trust in horses and not in God. You said, no, we will flee upon horses. Therefore, you shall flee away. And we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift In other words, God's going to give them up to their own self-reliance if they will not rest and be quiet and trust and find salvation in God, but rather seek it in their own devising with swift horses. He will give them up. And then comes this amazing verse 18. Therefore, since you're going to rely upon yourself in that way, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. God doesn't enter into arrangements with people that says the Lord helps those who help themselves. God enters into arrangements that says the Lord helps those who wait on God and find their help in God. So he's stepping back, as it were, waiting to be gracious to them. Another way to say it, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. He's going to exalt himself in showing mercy 
to you. He's not going to exalt your brilliance in figuring out how to escape on horses. He's going to exalt himself when you learn to, to rest and be quiet and trust and wait for him. Then he will show mercy to you. He will work for those who wait for him. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. This is amazing. Look, look at verse 18 here now. Make sure you see it. The Lord waits to act in mercy for those who wait for him. So if we won't wait for him, that is, if we are going to take matters into our own hands, figure out by our own strength and our own swift horses how to get ourselves out of jams and not trust in the Lord, then he will step back and wait. He means to be gracious, but he's not going to step in and reward us for our self-help. He's going to make sure that the arrangement gets him the glory and gets us the mercy. That's the deal. The Lord works for those who wait for him. This is verse 18. Let's finish it up by looking at verse 19 through 22. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. I love that. Just the sound of your cry. I blew it. I'm sorry. Help. And he is on his way. As soon, as soon as he hears it, he answers you. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. And then when you discover that it is better to have a God who works for you than have you working for him and figuring things out for yourself and trusting in gods who demand performance. What are you going to do with all those gods you were going after and proving yourself before? Then you will defile your carved idols. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. All the false gods of the world are not like our God. Our God works for those who wait for him. He exalts himself not in demanding labor from the force of labor, but rather in demanding that we stop trying to prove ourselves and let him be gracious and merciful and revive us and help us and strengthen us and save us and then work for us through all our lives in all our doings. We have a unique God, not only, not only among all the gods, but unique among all the beings. He's not like us.